All human thought, all science, all religion is the holding of a candle to the highest power Are we here because we gaze at the stars, or do we gaze at the most possible pointless When the stars were right, they could plunge from the world to the world to the sky. When the stars were wrong, they could not live. But although they no longer lived, they would never really die. When the universe is vast and inexplicable, and you are weak and insignificant, then you know you are playing Call of Cthulhu. This is an actual play of Call of Cthulhu 7th edition, featuring adult themes and horror. Listener discretion is advised. Find our published scenarios at starsarewrite.com or contact us for help unleashing your own twisted tales upon an unsuspecting world. And now, settle in, dear listener. Intrigue, high adventure, and cosmic horror await when the stars are right. Hello and welcome back listeners. Today we have something slightly different planned for you. While we prepare for our next long form game, we are exploring Chaosium's Alone Against Strange. The Alone Against are solo scenarios, kind of like choose your own adventure books, using the Call of Cthulhu mechanics and dice. We are playing them in pairs, with one person reading the narration and the other making character choices. So without further ado, enjoy Alone Against the Flames. Hello. I'm Noxicals, and I will be the narrator and voice in Lydia's head during uh, this playthrough of Alone Against the Flames. I'm Lydia, and I'm playing Alone Against the Flames, and now the Noxicals has said that, I think I'm starting to have an identity crisis. He is in my head. <laughs> I'm always in your head, Lydia. Yes, yes, you are. Right, okay, so for those who don't know, Alone Against the Flames is a solo adventure for the Call of Cthulhu game. It is a horror story set in the 1920s where you are the main character and your choices determine the outcome. It is also designed to lead you through the basic rules of the game in a gradual and entertaining fashion. Although most such adventures are played with your friends, this one is just for you. Before you begin to play, make sure you have a copy of the Call of Cthulhu 7th edition quick start rules and a blank investigator sheet. You can download a printable investigator sheet or an interactive PDF version of the sheet, as well as the quick start rules from www.chaosium.com. You'll also need a pencil, an eraser, and some role-playing dice. Do you have those things, Lydia? Well, I don't have a pencil and a dice, but I do have a PDF open. Well, then I'll let well, you know. Uh, no, I do have the dice, but I don't have the uh, pencil. <laughs> okay. See, you don't I'm need to read already. the rules before you start playing, apparently. <laughs> uh, just settle in a comfortable chair before a roaring fire, then read on. Sadly, no roaring fire either. <laughs> Where it does say, on second thoughts, don't sit too close to the fire. Now go to mm. one. Okay. One. The sun is high in the sky, a merciless ball of heat. You feel scorched by the time you reach the bus halt in front of Osborne's drugstore. It's a relief to put down your heavy cases and take off your hat for a moment. You fan your face. It's been a long summer here in your hometown, and yet a curiously empty one. You look across the street at the grubby butcher's shop, the grocer's with its faded awning, and the shabby tobacconist. Mistrustful faces glare at you as they pass, eyeing your clothes and luggage. It was your parents' choice to live here, not yours. You were happy down south as a child among Providence's white-walled houses and leafy churchyards. Perhaps this new job in Arkham will supply the change you need. Yet everybody you know in the world lives here. You know nobody in Arkham, not one soul. You ask yourself one last time if you're doing the right thing. The answer is here. None of your supposed friends have come to see you off. You're alone. Whatever challenges lie in Arkham, it will be a new life and a brave one. A small, grey motor coach approaches and rattles to a stop. You put your hat back on and pick up your cases. Okay. What do you think your hat looks like as I try to browse to 263, which apparently is the next part? Okay. Well, I guess it's a straw hat because it sounds like it's quite warm. So it's one of those sort of straw boater hats with the ribbon around it. <laughs> nice. I approve. Okay, two, six, three. Two young men with sullen expressions alight from the coach. 
One looks you up and down before heading away. The driver also steps down, glancing at you before crossing the road to visit the tobacconist. When he returns, he's rolling a cigarette between his yellowed fingers. He gives it a final twist and examines you as he reaches for his matchbox. He's a thin man in his fifties, dressed in a stained shirt with the bus company emblem, yet his eyes are sharp in their dark sockets. Where to? You show him your ticket for Ossipee. From there, you will connect to Rochester and Portsmouth before the coastal line to Newburyport and finally Arkham. You should be able to afford a rail ticket for at least some of the way, otherwise this will be the first of many long bus trips. Mm-hmm. The driver scratches the match and lights his cigarette. The end flares as he takes a draw, then he exhales and gestures to the back of the coach. Luggage racks up there. So, apparently, Lydia, you need to look at your investigator sheet. At the top, you have spaces for eight characteristics. Strength, constitution, power, dexterity, appearance, size, intelligence, and education. Allocate the following values among them, writing in the large square beside each. 40, 50, 50, 50, 60, 60, 70, and 80. So, I guess allocate your stats and let us know what you've done. Okay, well, I think I'm going to put strength as 70, and I'm going to put con as 80, and the two 60s will be for dex and size, the intelligence for 50, and the power and app also 50, which leaves me with 40 for edu. You're going for a really swole character. I am, yeah. I thought I'd, I thought I'd mix it up a bit. <laughs> Feeling less intellectual than normal. Yeah. Okay. The driver smokes and watches as you drag your cases to the back of the motor coach. The rack is set inconveniently high on the vehicle. You get a grip on the heavier case. If your size is 40, go to 23. If your size is higher than this, go to 38. What did you say your size was? My size is 60. Ah, well, 38 it is then. The driver continues to enjoy his cigarette, watching with keen interest as you struggle with the cases. You grit your teeth and heave the second one into place. Perhaps the residents of Arkham will have better manners. Go to 233. I think that's quite a long shot, the residents of Arkham having better manners, isn't it? <laughs> it seems unlikely. I suspect that bad things are going to happen and horrible people are going to be met, but let's see. Okay. The driver flicks his cigarette into the gutter and steps into the motor coach. Its engine coughs into life. You board, grateful that you'll be the only passenger for the initial part of your trip at least. With mixed emotions, you watch from the window as the tired avenues of your old home slip behind you, receding into the distance. For a few minutes, you can still see the church spire, over the brow of a low hill. Then the road dips, and it too is gone. Arkham is your new home. You will travel there and make a new start. You will see two smaller boxes to the right of each characteristic value. Halve each value rounding down and write the result in the upper right box. Also divide each value by five again rounding down and write the result in the lower right box. So those are your numbers for hard and extreme successes. Mm -hmm. And through the magic of PDFs, it's all done it's already for done me. It. Amazing. Well, hey. It also asks you to record your sanity and magic points. So your beginning sanity is equal to your original POW, and your beginning magic points are the same as the value you've just assigned for POW divided by five. Mark these on the tracks. All right, so that is sanity 50 and magic points 10. Okay, sanity 50. So there's a good chance of you going insane across that, which is what we like. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. The coach putters through the countryside. At first, the interior is stifling and your stomach lurches with every bend in the road. However, the driver opens his window and by switching seats, you find a spot where the breeze hits your face. You soon relax into the journey, observing the quaint little hamlets that the coach serves. A heavy set woman boards at one settlement and gives you a polite nod. She gets off at the next one. The road rises a little, passing cornfields and orchards. The leaves are turning and the trees are alive with glorious reds and golds. Just begun to doze when the driver takes a tight bend at speed. Add your size and con together, then divide the total by 10, rounding down. 
This is the starting value for your hit points. Mark it on your investigator sheet. Your current total may drop, but it's unlikely to exceed the starting value. You also have a luck score. Roll three six-sided dice. We call this 3d6. Uh, yep, and it's telling you to check the quick start rules for more information about that. So roll 3d6, times it by five, and that's your luck score. Okay. So that's six, and another six for 12, and that's a 14. And that was... Multiply it by how much again, sorry? Five. Five. Okay. That's 70. It is indeed. Weaken maths. Hooray. Right, you're about to make your first dice roll. Okay, you must now make a roll against your decks. Roll 1d100. Uh, this means rolling two 10-sided dice and using one value for the 10s and one value for the units. You must choose which it is before you roll. Well, hey. And I've just rolled a 100. Fabulous. Oh wow. Well, <laughs> I've just fumbled you... on the first roll. That's, <laughs> wow. But luckily, there's nothing for a fumble specifically, but you do have a different path depending on whether you pass or fail. So okay. if you fail the dex roll, go to 59. Okay. A desperate yell awakens you. You feel yourself slide from the seat as the driver spins the wheel and the motor coach plunges off the road. Too late, you reach for the seat in front. You fall into the aisle and your ribs crash against the edge of the seat opposite. Breath rushes out of you. The coach stops with a thump. Your driver leaps from his seat into the road. As you sprawl dizzy in the aisle, you hear a string of incendiary curses. The driver climbs back into the cab and sees you on the floor. He looks concerned and assists you back into your seat. You see what has happened now. Fordson tractor has stopped in the road and he had to swerve to avoid this steel obstacle. Sorry, he says. All them fields and he has to pick the road to park. Are you alright? You don't think anything's broken, but you'll have a colourful bruise for the next few days. He backs the coach up a little and threads it around the tractor, glaring at the farmer. So I'm afraid, Lydia, you lost one hit point in the accident. Mark the loss on your investigator sheet, but keep track of your original value. You'll eventually heal back up to this value. If you drop to zero hit points, you will fall unconscious and you might die. Oh no. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just hopefully getting the bad luck out right at the beginning. How many hit points have you got? I started with 14, so now I'm down to 13. That's pretty good. It's Call of Cthulhu, guys. That's quite a lot. Okay. You resume your journey. The driver takes the curves with more caution than before. He glances over his shoulder at you a couple of times. Sorry about before, he says. That fellow was dumber than a hog. I'm Silas, what's your name? Oh, do you have a name? Do I have a name? I guess I must have a name. Yeah, it says you should make up a name for your character and record it on your investigator sheet. My name is... Bill. I feel like being a dude today, I'm going to be Bill. Bill Putnam. Bill Putnam. Mm -hmm. It seems like a good old New England name. It does, yeah. Uh, the accident was at least as much Silas's fault as the farmer's, but it doesn't seem shrewd to antagonise the man while he's driving you through the middle of nowhere. Um, so you've made up your name, which is great. You may add your age for the purposes of this adventure. Your character should probably be aged between 23 and 36, apparently. How old do you feel Bill Putnam is? I'm going to say 28. Just pull that out of thin air. Almost smack bang in the middle. Okay. Mm -hmm. The coach turns onto a narrower road, which weaves uphill through woodland. Silas becomes chatty. Going to Arkham, eh? Can't say I ever heard of the place. Went to Boston once, didn't like it. Too much hustle and bustle. You got family there? A special someone waiting? The afternoon is wearing on. You see no, you see no harm in confiding in Silas about your new life. A job, eh? What's your line? So now you must choose an occupation for your character from the following options. You may be an antiquarian, a doctor of medicine, a journalist, a private investigator, or a professor. Hmm. Well, as we said earlier, this character is pretty swole, but there doesn't seem to be that much in the way of physical occupations. So I'm going to say a private investigator, that's probably the closest in terms of what seems to reflect the stats. 
I mean, you could be a really swole professor. It is an option. I could, you know, a professor of ass kicking. <laughs> and taking names. Yeah. So, apparently I have to go to 265 if you're a professor. No, not professor. Private investigator, 249. Right, here we go. Okay. You skirt around the details of the profession in your usual way, mentioning only that you've helped the police to clear up various problems in the past. Your heart pounds a little faster as you think of the post you've secured at the Blackwood Detective Agency. You've had enough of investigating marital infidelity and bank clerks on the take. It sounds like the Blackwood Agency is just the opportunity you need to cut your teeth on some real villainy. Silas narrows his eyes, but he says nothing. So, your credit rating skill is 20%. Your occupation skills are art, craft, photography, disguise, law, library use, psychology, spot hidden, and one of either charm, fast talk, intimidate, or persuade. You may also pick any other skill except Cthulhu Mythos as a personal specialty. Allocate the following values among these occupation skills, writing in the large square beside each. I'm not going to read all of these out, but I'm going to paste them for you so you can put them in the appropriate places. Okay. Lovely. Okay, you have a well-rounded investigator with lots of exciting skills. Okay, 128. You realise Silas hasn't made a stop since the incident with the tractor. The motor coach winds its way uphill. However, your thoughts are interrupted as the road crests a ridge and you're treated to a magnificent view of the vista below. A creek snakes through the valley, breaking the rich autumn palette of the treeline. In the distance, the white mountains rise into hazy cloud. There's no settlement, not even a cabin, as far as the eye can see. Birds drift through the treetops, and you can just make out what might be two white-tailed deer lingering by the water. Perhaps you're making a mistake by moving to the city. Could you survive on your own in this lush wilderness? You have a base ability in most skills, listed in brackets after the skill name on your investigator sheet. For instance, you have 20% in climb, and a base dodge equal to half your dex. <laughs> Choose four skills which are not your <laughs> occupation skills, nor Cthulhu Mythos. Uh, these are your personal interest skills, and you can boost each of those by 20. Okay, I think I'm going to go with Navigate, because I reckon if he's a private investigator, he probably finds himself in cities he doesn't know quite a lot. So Sounds I'm going good. to boost that, so that with a base of 10, that takes me to 30. And then for the other three, uh, I'm going to say First Aid is probably going to be quite useful. I'm sure that he's been in a few bites in his time. So that takes me up to 60, in fact, because there's a base 30 of First Aid. Nice. Just in case you punch anyone to death, Jason has just messaged me. <laughs> I can see. Are you going to have to do that private eye thing of holding ice on your face after you've been punched really hard in a bar fight? Absolutely. You know, if or you're going to commit to, yep, if you're going to commit to being a badass, you got to go all in with the tropes. I believe this very strongly. <laughs> and then for my other two, I think I'm going to go with. I think locksmith seems quite appropriate Ooh, as well. Fun. I don't Very think rarely gets used love. skill. Yeah. Okay, so that's taken me to 21 because it's got a really low base. Yeah. And then for my last one, hmm, let's go for something a little bit left field. I think I'm going to go with swim. I'm going to say that that's what he does for fun in his spare time. So that takes me to 40 swim. Or the swimming PI. Yeah. There's a film noir building, isn't there? <laughs> there is. Already. I can feel it. The swimming PI. She walked into my swimming pool. <laughs> the high heels seemed inappropriate. <laughs> I said, are you wearing Veruca socks? Remember those <laughs> things they used to make us wear at school PE? <laughs> I wonder if Veruca socks were a thing for all of our audience. That would be an interesting thing to find out. Post mm. in Discord. Let were us know if you know what a Veruca 20s? sock is. Oh, yes. Yeah. Did they exist in the twenties? I have no idea. Well, rubber existed, but did uh, did Veruca socks? That's a Google mm. search waiting to happen. It is. 
Don't say we don't teach you anything on this podcast, folks. <laughs> All sorts of trivia. <laughs> okay, 144. The motor coach rattles on through the hills and Silas lapses into silence. The sky darkens behind you, pinks tinting the clouds as the sun descends. Finally, a welcome sight comes into view, a settlement on the crest of a hill. This doesn't look like the pictures you've seen of Ossipi, but perhaps you can persuade Silas to stop while you stretch your legs. Minutes later, a harsh stuttering from the engine interrupts your reverie. Silas frowns and rattles the gear stick. The motor coach falters in its ascent. Silas utters a curse you don't recognise and grinds his teeth, struggling at the wheel. You seem to inch up the hill until you reach the first buildings, low dwellings constructed from a rough red stone. Silas wrestles the coach into a small bay off the road. He scrambles from his seat and makes for the engine compartment. You must now choose to make a roll against Drive Auto or Psychology. So if you choose Drive Auto, you need to just pass the skill. If you choose Psychology, you need a hard success. So which one do you think you'd like to roll? Well, I don't have any skills at all other than base in Drive Auto, so I'm going to have to go for Psychology. So I am looking for half my skill as a 30. And I've just rolled 14, so that is comfortably, nice. comfortably okay. within. So if you roll a hard success against Psychology, you go to 162. Well done. Okay. You sense a falseness to Silas's actions. He's acting. Either he's not as aggravated about the breakdown as his behaviour suggests, or perhaps the breakdown itself is an act. If this is a ruse to make you spend your time and money in a local shop, he'll be sadly disappointed in your purchasing power. On your investigator sheet, check mark the small box to the left of the word psychology. If you successfully complete this adventure, you'll have the opportunity to learn from your experience with Silas. <laughs> So let's hope we survive. Okay. Silas opens the engine compartment uh, and sticks his head inside. The hot metal pops and sizzles. He pokes at various components, then withdraws and wipes his brow, smearing it with dark grease. I ain't sure what's wrong. Might be the oil pressure. Might be something knocked off kilter when we took that spill. Can't do much until the engine calls, neither. And with the light failing, I reckon we'll be here through the night. He wipes his hands on a rag. The shadows of your surroundings are already long and the air is chilly. You feel stiff from the journey and a night in the rickety coach sounds unappealing. Silas sees your dismay. This here's Emberhead, miles from any place. I only come through twice a week, but the folks here are good people. May Ledbetter keeps a spare room, she'll look after you. Up that alley, turn right, first house on the left. He scratches his cheek, looks again into the engine compartment and spits on the ground. Meet me back here at eight in the morning. We'll see how's we stand. So you've got a choice. You can look for May Ledbetter's house. You can ask Silas where he will spend the night, or you can challenge Silas about the breakdown. Hmm. Well, this guy is clearly sus. So I'm kind of torn between asking him where he's going to spend the night and see if that has any clues to offer or to just come right out and say it that I think you're dodgy but I reckon private investigator is going to be a little bit more subtle than that so I will ask where he will spend the night you ask about Silas's plans he gives the engine a sour glance before answering I've got acquaintances here in the village reckon one of them owes me a favor enough for bed and breakfast in any case he stares at his grubby hands probably won't stretch to a hot bath you don't seem to have a lot of options. You fetch your cases from the back of the motor coach. The last thing you need is for all your worldly possessions to disappear into some stranger's hotel overnight. Oh, sorry, even some stranger's hovel overnight. Go to 267. Okay. You drag your cases between the sullen buildings. You feel surprisingly weary considering you've spent all day sitting down. Silas's directions lead you to a modest dwelling with a slate roof. A nameplate reads Leadbetter, and underneath a sign in neat copper plate reads Lodging Room. The lane around you is gloomy, but a lamp flickers in the window. A breeze chills your face. You're not about to begin your new life by sleeping in the street. You rap on the weather-beaten door. After a moment, you hear footsteps inside the house. 
A bolt is drawn back and the wooden door swings open. A figure with loose curls and a rough-looking house dress peers at you. Her gaze takes in your travelling suit and your cases. Her voice has a slight Irish lilt. Oh no. Hello. Should I take it you're looking for a room for the night? You inquire as to her rates, suppressing a grimace. As far as you've seen, the village does not offer you many alternatives. Oh, you'll find them very reasonable, she says. You look tired, I'm May. Come inside and we'll talk over a cup of tea. The Leadbetter house feels cramped with a low ceiling and simple fittings, but it's well kept and a cheerful fire crackles in the grate. The aroma of the tea is soothing and the cup warms your fingers. Have you come to Emberhead for the festival? asks May. To explain what happened with Silas and the coach, go to 14. To ask about the festival, go to 21. In this slightly clumsy way of getting to some exposition, I think I'm going to fall for it and ask about the festival. Okay, 21 it is. Well now, I suppose the festival is about the only reason folks come to Emberhead. I thought you had maybe come to study it or take photographs. Well, it's not tomorrow night, but the night after. I suppose it looks very strange to a passerby. May tops up your tea. The spout chinks against your cup. We've got the beacon, you see. One night every year, there's a torchlit procession and we light the beacon on the cliffs. You've never seen the like of it. They say it keeps the spirit of the village alive for another year. It's a celebration. A celebration. She tails off for a moment and blinks. But you didn't come here to listen to me blather and you must be hungry. I can rustle you up a bit of stew. How would that be? You ask again about her rates and May names a price so low you accept it without hesitation. The room is small but comfortable and the stew dark and hearty. After dinner, you have a couple of hours before your usual bedtime. To talk to May some more, go to 31. To walk around and get your bearings, go to 75. And to turn in for an early night, go to 63. Well, I can tell we're heading to full-on folk horror here, aren't we? Strange little village, dodgy bus driver, suspiciously friendly hotel landlady. Hmm. Yeah, it's got a little bit sort of wicker man come (laughs) shadow over Innsmouth, hasn't it? It has a bit, hasn't it? Okay, I'm going to go for a little walk and get my bearings. Okay, I've just realised that the uh, the numbers in the PDF are actually hyperlinks to the numbers, so I've been doing all this scrolling for no reason. So, May's brow creases when you announce your intention to take a stroll. Mind how you go, she says. Emberhead's surrounded by cliffs and we don't have your fancy street lamps here. Take the lantern and watch your step. Outside, you see what she means. The sky is overcast and only a few glimmers of moonlight peek from the clouds. Without the heavy lantern, you'd be walking in near total darkness. You cannot hope to get an overview of the village tonight. May's Street is a narrow passage hemmed in by squat, dark dwellings. At the end, however, it opens up. A wide thoroughfare leads off to your right. A crude sign names it Silbury Street. To the left, a few yards away, your light picks out the crooked posts of a simple fence, and beyond that, the ground drops away into darkness. You take a couple of steps closer, but you can see nothing. Air from below calls your face. Then some instinct makes you look around. An ink-black figure stands in the road about 20 yards behind you. It stares at you. You form the sudden impression that it will run at you and throw you over the cliff edge. This is unsettling. Yeah, it really is. Seeing it has been spotted, the figure slips down an alley. (laughs) Exactly. To return to the safety of the Leadbetter house, go to 100, or to confront the dark figure, go to 121. Are you a man of action or are you going to bed? Well, (laughs) well, that is a question for our times, isn't it? Wow. Uh, I'm tempted to confront the dark figure, but this clearly seems to be a bad idea. (laughs) It's proper horror movie tropes, isn't it? (laughs) It is. It really is. It's... uh, so I think I'm I'm going to be dull and go back to the Leadbetter house and go to bed. Fair enough. I can't blame you. You flee back down the narrow street, the lantern swinging in your grasp. You reach the door and pound it urgently. May is surprised to see you so soon. The air up here can tire you out if you're not used to it, she says. You glance back once before you close the door. The dark figure is standing against the wall at the end of the street, still staring at you. Or is it? The murk may be deceiving your eyes. You slide the heavy bolt into place. May has settled back into her chair, but now she blinks and yawns. 
Oh, I believe I'll turn in. When would you like your breakfast? As Mace stands, you hear a clunk behind you. You look over your shoulder, but all you can see is a wooden door securely closed. May tuts. The young lady of the house. She'll have been listening to us. Ruth, come out and greet our guest. There's a short pause, then the door creaks open. Two wide eyes peer at you from the, gr- from the gap between tousled hair and a rough nightgown. What do you say? The eyes blink. Pleased to meet you. Now get back to bed. The door closes again. My daughter Ruth, ten years this summer. She's a delight and a torment all in one. Don't worry, she sleeps in with me. She'll not disturb you. Good night now. You retire to your room. It's a little chilly, but you're too tired to worry about lighting the fire. The sheets are clean and the bed soon warms up. The silence outside is strange after living in a town for so long, but you soon drop off. You dream of fire in the grate, coruscating colours shimmering through the dancing tongues of flame. At first they are tiny, almost microscopic, but they grow and grow until a kaleidoscopic inferno spills from the fireplace, spreading across the floor, up the sheets. You wake with a start, daylight glints through the curtains. You get up and examine the grate, blinking the sleep from your eyes. It's quite cold. If you've taken any damage, you may heal one hit point back for your night's sleep. Okay. May seems to have no running water, (laughs) but has supplied some in a ceramic jug. You freshen up at the washstand and go in. She cooks a hearty breakfast and leaves you in peace to eat. At about 7.30, you're paid up, packed and ready to go. You may bid May goodbye, and she wishes you the best for your new career in Arkham. If you succeeded at a skill roll last night and wish to investigate the results further, go to 178. Otherwise, go to 192. I Mm, did. I successfully used psychology on Silas. Ah, So so do you want to investigate further? I think I do. I am a detective. It's what I do. Okay. You retrace your steps of last night. A few villagers watch with polite curiosity as you thread your way along the northern cliffs, bags in tow. In time, you think you've found the spot. Heart thudding in your chest, you peer over the edge. Nothing. With the benefit of daylight, you see the cliff is not the bottomless drop you imagined. It leads to a shelf some 20 yards below. It could be a lethal tumble. Ah, and then I think there's something that would suggest that we, uh, we're talking about different skill roles. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. That's a I'm bit t- confusing, isn't it? Yeah, it is a little bit, yeah. So... Okay... We'll go on to 192 instead. Okay. Okay. You're already tired of your heavy heavy bags. Hopefully Silas has repaired the motor coach and you can resume your long journey. A sour puss he might be, but the old driver seemed to understand his vehicle well enough. You pause to check your watch, still 20 minutes early, and round the final corner. The motor coach is gone. You put your bags down and search the area, trekking up and down slopes and around corners, At the edge of the village, you trace the long road back as it winds across the hills. Eight o'clock comes and goes. There is no coach to be seen. A passing villager notices your bags. Looking for the bus? I heard him take off at first light. He's due back in three or four days. If you need a place to stay, May Ledbetter rents a room. The man raises his hat to you and strolls on into the village. You curse Silas under your breath. Perhaps he went for parts but you wonder if the old goat has stranded you here on purpose. May is doing laundry and looks surprised to see you again. Forgot something? When you explain the situation, she offers to store your bags while you try to arrange alternative transport. You're grateful to relinquish the load. Well, nobody here has anything like a car. She strokes her chin and narrows her eyes. Maybe you could find somebody with a horse and a cart for your bags. I could ask around later. Try Mr. Winters at the village hall. He'll know if anyone will. Or ask among the artisans. Their workshops are first left on Silbury Street. She reaches over and squeezes your wrist. Don't worry. I won't see you sleeping in the street, money or no money. You thank May and turn to face the village. Go to six. Okay, we've got a choice coming up in a moment. You wander the streets of Emberhead without any particular destination in mind. The village is built on a relatively flat upland with splendid views. To the north, the hazy tips of the White Mountains reach for the heavens, 
To the south, the sparkling waters of Lake Winnipesaukee touch the horizon. The village itself takes less than five minutes to cross from edge to edge. You arrived on the winding road to the west. The only other road leaves to the south, following a lower ridge of land as it turns east. In the southwest of the village, an open, grassy space borders a ruined church, its graveyard cresting the cliffs. To the northeast, the three main thoroughfares meet at a raised black metal structure. It looms stark against the blue sky. You may now ask about transport at the local general store, seek out the village hall, walk down to the lower level and check out the eastern road, examine the large metal structure, explore the church, or look for local people with their own transport needs. Hmm. Would you like me to post those options for you to consider? Yes, yes, please. Hey. That's a lot of choice. It is. It's, it's, it's a choose-your-own-adventure on steroids. It really is. Okay. Well, I think I'm going to have a look at the large metal structure because this is clearly something a bit dodgy. Okay. You walk up the approach, the most central of the village's major streets. It points directly at the odd metal structure. As you emerge from the shade of the nearby buildings, you're greeted by a magnificent panorama spread from the north to the southeast. The last colours of fall tint the hills in a sleepy gold. The structure, by contrast, is made from uncompromising iron, singed black. It supports an immense curved platform at the level of your head. Further struts snake up to a central point. It looks like they may have been some kind of sculpture at one time, but are now twisted and melted beyond recognition. An older gentleman passes, looking at you with roomy eyes. Are you here for the festival? He asks. That's the beacon. When they light it night after next, you'll be able to see it ten miles away. He gives a little nod of satisfaction, then moves on, leaning on his walking stick. Now you notice bundles of wood tied and stacked against the buildings nearby. Perhaps this festival would be an interesting diversion, but you really must head to Arkham as soon as possible. Make a spot hidden roll and let me know if you succeed. Okay, uh, now my spot hidden is 40. And no, 51. Okay, so we're going to 25 in that case. Can we You're spend luck get... in this? Oh, I don't know. It hasn't given us the rules for that. How far it away hasn't. were we? Uh, I would need to spend 11 points of luck, which I think might be worth doing. If it, It's up to you, though. Do you want to use luck? Luck rules or mind. not? I don't mind. Is there any reason not to? Hmm. No, I don't think so. What I've got to do now, though, I is remember what number I was on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, there's the large metal structure. Okay, so you're spending your luck. So if you succeed, go to 69. Okay. As you walk away from the iron structure, you notice something strange about the construction of the village. All the wooden dwellings are concentrated in the west and southwest. To the east and northeast, closest to the beacon, the buildings are formed from dark brick and clay. Does this mean the settlement began at the beacon and spread west? You may check mark the small box beside spot hidden. And now we go to 25. You're beginning to get your bearings in Emberhead. Would you like to explore some more? Uh, so it's the same options as before. Bill has no skills in town planning, so I'm sure he doesn't know if it started in the west and moved to the east. But yeah, I think I'm going to go to the general store and ask about transport there. Okay, 16. The general store is on a corner beside the main road just before it plunges to the south. The shopkeeper is a brisk, immense lady with a starched apron and strong shoulders. She looks hard at your unfamiliar face. Transport? There's a motor coach comes through twice a week. Missed it. Mm. Truck brings in my supplies every second Tuesday, but he's not due until next week. She shrugs. It seems Emberhead is content to keep its distance from the outside world. You have enough money to buy one or two inexpensive everyday items here. Note them down on your investigator sheet. 
Remember, the year is 1927. The shop stocks no weapons except a dusty hunting knife, which you may purchase if you want. Mm. So, anything you'd like to buy? I think he's going to buy a packet of cigarettes, this being the 1920s, and if we're leaning into the tropes, we're going to lean right on in there. Well, they're also good for you in the 1920s, I believe. They are, aren't they? You know, I'm going to buy the brand that most doctors smoke. The doctors which are on the adverts that say, these are the best ones. Full of healthful vapours, I believe. Absolutely. The knife is kind of intriguing, isn't it? But it is that dusty. Does, mm, very dusty. It does lean a little bit too close to metagaming, and I don't see a reason why he would buy it. He's suspicious of what's going on, but I don't think he's suspicious enough to want to arm himself just yet. Fair enough. Okay, well, then we're back at you choosing where you'd like to go in Emberhead. So what were the choices again, remind me? Yep, so you've already uh, asked about transport at the village store. Uh, you can seek out the village hall, walk down to the lower level and check out the eastern road, uh, explore the church, or look for local people with their own transport needs. I think that sounds like the most logical choice. Have a look around and see if there's any, I don't know, farmers who are taking a horse and cart to market or whatever. Okie dokie. The 96 for that. Not far from the Leadbetter house on the north side of Silbury Street, there is an open courtyard. The rhythmic tattoo of a hammer seems to announce your approach. The courtyard is the busiest location you've yet seen in Emberhead. It's bordered by a ring of workshops. Some are brick buildings, some only rough huts. A blacksmith ceases to hammer, uh, thrusting something red and glowing into a bucket of cold water. A weaver looks up from his loom, blinking at you a moment before returning to his shuttle. A potter, engraver and carpenter each work in their own space, exchanging friendly banter. You move among the artisans, chatting about their work. Eventually you bring up the question of export. Some of them send occasional packages with Silas, some restrict their custom entirely to villagers. You receive no suggestion about alternative transport, but you have been asked to make a psychology roll. Okay, so we are looking for a 60. No, 74. Ah, okay, well then we're back to choosing. Your remaining options are, you can seek out the village hall, you can walk down to the lower level and check the eastern road, uh, or you can explore the church. Let's go with the village hall. Okay, 84. The village hall backs against a cliff at the east end of Silbury Street. It's the largest building you've seen so far in Emberhead. It is, however, locked and shuttered. You walk around it, peering through gaps in the shutters. There seems to be one large room, presumably for community meetings, and a smaller annex which serves as an office and archive. One of the windows is bricked up. Back at the main door, you can see no posted opening hours. Mr. Winters doesn't open up mornings this time of year, says a grey-garbed woman passing by. Best come back this afternoon. You ask whether the office has a telegraph. Dunno, she shrugs. Who would we call? You'll have to try again later. So we're back again at mm. 25. Would you like to walk down to the well, lower hey. level and check the eastern road? Uh, or explore the church? Or, once you've tried four options, if you're ready to move on, we can skip to the next part of the uh, story, if you wish. Well, I might as well keep exploring. I think I'm going to check out the Eastern Road. Okay. 115. The air is fresh and the walk down to the lower ridge invigorating. You notice cultivated fields stretching through the lowlands around Emberhead, and among the crops, some livestock, but no horses. <laughs> Are you going to have to make your onward journey on foot? Further down, the road skirts the edge of the ridge and descends. There are a few scattered hovels here with signs of habitation. They are set a substantial distance apart. As you examine them, a door opens and an older man steps out. He wears a bedraggled suit, but carries a piece of cloth which he tosses over his head like a hood. As he does this, he sees you and freezes. Make a luck roll, and let me know if you succeed. 
clearly a suspicious villager. No, that's a fail. I got 63 against 59, although I would have passed if I hadn't just spent the luck. <laughs> a lesson has mm -hmm. been learned. Great ironies. Right. Okay, if you fail, turn to 135. The strange man breaks into a run, fleeing from you along the ridge. His gait is lopsided, but his mov movements have a maniacal intensity. Would you like to give chase? I'm going to give chase. Okay, in that case, we're turning to 150. Chase, rolls, okay. chase, rolls, chase, rolls. <laughs> I hope it doesn't attempt to do a solo version of the chase rolls. That would be <laughs> absolutely interminable. It's going to okay. say, go and get some, get some pegs and put them in a line and then have all the pegs <laughs> jump over each other. If you have a handy cribbage board. Okay. Uh, you break from the road and pursue the man, feeling wild grass snatch at your feet. He sprints around the ridge, attempting to elude you behind the very rocks that support the metal structure high above. To catch the man, you must make an opposed roll with your with your dex versus his dex. The man has dex 38. He scores a hard success on a roll of 19 and under, and an extreme success on a roll of 7 and under. So make the man's dex roll, and then make your own dex roll. So, my amazing decks of 38. Oh, he's got an 11. Ooh. Uh, so he got a hard success. So now okay. make your decks roll and let me know how you go. Well, my decks is 60. So let's see. No, that is a huge failure of 84. <laughs> I'm not doing well at all. Okay, so if you lose the opposed skill roll, you've been outrun by a limping man wearing a piece of cloth on his head. <laughs> well, presumably I'm still carrying all my suitcases. <laughs> I've just been running across the fields carrying a whole pile of luggage. <laughs> you round an outcrop to find the man has disappeared. The ridge extends much further to the west and the outer edge leads to a dangerous drop. You've lost him. You may make a hard spot hidden roll. Uh, and let me know if you succeed. I will. I can't believe I failed again. 85. Oh. Okay. So you give it up and we go to 160. You turn back to the road and your core business, getting out of Emberhead and onwards to Ossipee. The ridge gives you a good viewpoint from which you can see the course of the road. It winds with the hills, disappearing into woodland for a while before emerging further on. You lose sight of it somewhere towards a second patch of woodland. By your best estimation, uh, that is at least six or seven miles distant. You see no other settlements or traffic. It may be worth taking a chance and walking. The weather's still mild, but you'll need supplies before you attempt it. So we're back at 25 again. So we can move on with the story and go to three, or you can explore the local church. I suppose you could go back to the general store and buy yourself some trail snacks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, what would you like to do? Are. Here we are at 25 again. It's like coming home, isn't it? It really is. I think the only thing I haven't done is go to the, church. the church. Yeah. So I guess I might as well. Yeah, why not? Okay, 34. You cross the street towards the church, as you glance to your left, your gaze alights on the large metal structure. Something bothers you about its positioning. You back up and look again. Yes, Emberhead's central thoroughfare points directly at the structure. This seems too precise to be a coincidence. You press on and draw into the shadow of the church. The building's in a sorry state. The top of the steeple is missing, a ragged gash of splintered boards marking its absence, and the floors beneath it have collapsed. It appears to have torn through the roof of the main building as it fell. Only the back half of the church is still intact. The white paint, which once covered the church, has yellowed and peeled. It seems safe enough to explore the rear section. Old pews are stacked against the wall, choked with mildew. Most of the windows are broken. You'd guess this church has been disused for about 20 years. There is little more to interest you. And for some reason, it's now asking you to make a ride roll. A ride roll. A ride roll. I've got no idea why. <laughs> uh, did a horse just like walk in somehow? I don't know. 
Wow. Okay. Well, what's I your ride not, skill? Uh, I have no ride skill. It's just the base five. So I guess I hardly know one end of a horse from the other. But let's give it a go. Yeah, if you succeed, you get to go to 46. Otherwise, you can guess where we're going. Back to 25. <laughs> well, I have failed 28 against 5, so... <laughs> you don't want to spend 23 luck. for me! <laughs> oh, fair enough. That's really strange. We should look that up at the end and try to work out what on earth that was about. Definitely. Okay. Okay, so our only option now then, because you've tried everywhere, unless you want to go back to the general store and buy something random, is to go back to three. Nah, I'm going to make do with my cigarettes that I already bought. I'm going to smoke okay. one moodily. Stare into the distance. And then move on. Yeah, absolutely. And my internal monologue will just describe what's going on. And then I guess we'll move on. Okay. So, your morning exertions have left you hungry. You roam the streets of Emberhead looking for sustenance. There's nothing resembling the busy cafes of your hometown, or anything that might be called a restaurant. It's beginning to look like you will have to get supplies from the general store when May Ledbetter comes down the street with a girl trailing in her wake. This must be Ruth. As she notices you, she races past her mother and approaches you with a smile. This is a different Ruth from the shy creature of last night. As she reaches you, she stops and stretches her arms up in celebration. She looks up into your eyes. Abruptly, the smile drops from her face and she looks several years older. Get out before the festival, she hisses. Get out! She blinks hard and scuttles back towards her mother. May approaches, wrapping an arm around her daughter's shoulders. She smiles. How are you getting on? Have you found transport? Startled, you explain the frustrations of the situation. I try Mr Winters in the village hall. He's always in of an afternoon. You'll be hungry by now. Help yourself to any food in the house. The door is not locked. You glance at Ruth where she squirreled herself behind her mother's leg. Her eyes implore you to silence. Would you like to ask Ruth about what she said? Ask May about what Ruth said? Or say nothing? They're totally going to burn me, aren't they? This is all going very Wicker Man, isn't it? It really is. Oh dear. But hopefully the original and not the Nick Cage remake. <laughs> the bees! The bees! I think it would be wise to say nothing, and hopefully later on there will be an opportunity to get Ruth on her own and ask what's going on. Okie dokie. Well, we're going to 22 in that case. You take your leave of the Leadbetters and head towards their house. The door opens easily. In the low kitchen, you make a meal from stodgy bread and leftover stew. A little window offers a view of the mountains. If you learned one thing this morning, it was that Emberhead's streets hold little to occupy the visitor from out of town. But there are still about five hours of daylight remaining. You could take some provisions and the bare essentials from your luggage and set out in the hope of reaching another settlement before dark. Or you could ask advice from this Mr Winters. So would you like to prepare and walk out of town? Or would you like to head to the village hall? Well, we already went to the village hall, didn't we? But it was closed. Um... Yeah, they reckoned he'd be back in the afternoon. And, and it is now the afternoon. So yes, let's go to the village hall. Okay, 11. The village hall overlooks the lower north ridge of the village. You walk along Silbury Street to find it, conscious of the oppressive black metal structure framed at the end of the road. The shutters of the hall are open and some windows left ajar. There's no knocker, but a little bell over the entrance tinkles as you push the front door. Inside, a sturdy door to your right is marked private. To your left, an opening leads through to a bright room. You take a few steps inside. Benches line the walls and there are two notice boards mounted between the windows. Would you like to examine the notice boards or knock on the closed door? I shall look at the notice boards. Although it's usually a really bad idea to read things in Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> Sacrifice wanted. Please apply within. <laughs> <laughs> 17. The floorboards creak beneath you as you cross the room. You feel a slight spring in your step. Perhaps this room is used as a gymnasium for the village children. One notice board appears to be for the adults of the community and one for the children. The former looks neglected, featuring handwritten advertisements for household items and a yellowed note about telegraph pricing. There's nothing about the festival. The children's notice board has a schedule for weekly creche services and a number of paintings obviously done by the children themselves. 
Most are incoherent, though colourful. As best you can tell, they depict fireworks, or perhaps the tale of Joseph from the book of Genesis. One has lost a pin and hangs upside down. It shows a giant bird attacking Emberhead, or it might simply be that the artist has not yet mastered the subtleties of scale. <laughs> Please make a spot <laughs> hidden roll. All right, my spot hidden is not too bad being a detective, so we're looking for 40. Ah, oh, 74. I keep rolling either 74 or 84. Oh. It's time to change dice, Lydia. Come on. I think it is. Okay, if you fail, go to 37. The door scrapes behind you. A middle-aged, bespectacled gentleman appears in the doorway. May I help you? You explain that you're visiting on May Ledbetter's recommendation. Ah, oh, well, I'm Clyde Winters. I'm not sure I can help you, but uh, would you care for some coffee? I'm partial to a cup in the afternoon. He gestures to the open door behind him. This seems like a worthwhile opportunity, and you are a little thirsty. I would never He's... say no to coffee. Well, exactly. Even Always if it's best. being offered by clearly somebody who's some kind of weird cultist who's going to burn me <laughs> on the beacon. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die caffeinated. That's a good choice. And then if they eat you, they'll also be caffeinated. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> you step through the door marked private. The other side of the village hall is in marked contrast to the public space. The room is compact, lined with shelves of books and file alcoves. One corner is reserved for a tiny pantry and what is presumably a water closet. You study Mr. Winters as he fills the percolator. Although thin on top, his hair is oiled and neatly swept back. His suit is a sober affair and well-tailored, even if the cut is a little old-fashioned. A lesser man working alone might have loosened his bow tie for comfort. On the desk against the opposite wall, you notice what looks like a telegraph set. Would you like to ask about the telegraph immediately, or would you like to make some small talk with our Mr Winters? Hmm. I think I'm going to try and butter him up a bit before okay. I ask about the telegraph. And to 49 it is. The pot begins to gurgle as you exchange pleasantries with Winters. Living here is a trade-off like so much in life. He looks past you at a high shelf. I could wish for access to a proper library, of course, but I know myself well enough. I'm strictly a dabbler. And the cities... His face wrinkles in distaste. Too many people, everybody rushing and shouting. We have a special place here in Emberhead, and someone must accept responsibility for keeping it so. That was my father before me, and now the duty falls to me. He lifts his chin and straightens up. This evening, as the sun sets, look out at the landscape around the village. We have peace up here, halfway to the stars. Are we not privileged? Is it not worth the hardships we must accept? He looks at you speculatively. This seems a good time to ask about the telegraph. The telegraph? Hmm... Much as we value our isolation, we do need the link sometimes. You were hoping to send a message? I must apologise, the line has been down for two weeks. I reported the fault, but of course they're not so speedy when the problem lies in a rural area. I'm expecting a repair the day after next. I do appreciate how frustrating this must be. The coach is due in, what, three days? But I think he's going west. Perhaps you might engage a wagon? One of the farmers might... You explained that you've asked a few of the residents already, but to no avail. I tell you what, Winters pours you a steaming cup of coffee. The dark liquid smells rich and strong. When the repair crew arrive, I'll ask them to take you back with them. How would that be? They might want a dollar or two to grease the wheels. The day after tomorrow. That's less than ideal, but it's the first real opportunity you've had. Would you like to thank Winters and leave, or would you want to ask him about his library? Well, I'm very curious. I'm going to ask about the library. Okay, 62. You make a small but flattering remark about a couple of the volumes on his shelves. Winters blushes with pleasure. Well, of course, they're not my personal collection. They belong to the village, he says. But I did select most of the recent items. This is the community's library, you see. I put up the private sign to stop people just wandering in from meetings in the other room, but this is really a public space. You scan the shelves. There's a sparse but respectable collection on mathematics and the sciences, passable sections on history and arts, and a shelf of literature. 
He has a few low-brow novels tucked away in a corner with tatty copies of Bizarre Tales magazine. Quality does not always equate to popularity, I'm afraid. Winters gives you an apologetic smile. Would you like to take the time for some research in the library? (laughs) I'm not sure what you're researching. Or would you like to leave while it's still light outside? Bizarre tales. That's a really impressive leaning on the fourth wall, isn't it? It I love that. That's so awesome. Okay, well, I'm going to read Bizarre Tales then and research in the library. Just because that impressed me so much. That's 68 it is. Winters is happy for you to spend the rest of the afternoon in study and offers you an upright but comfortable chair. You have enough time to pursue one line of research in depth. Oh, you've got a choice. So, would you like to read about the history of the area? Would you like to read about the festival? Would you like to read something from the sciences? Or would you like to read some of the weird fiction? I can only pick one. Oh, that's a horrible decision to have to make. You can only pick one. Oh, do I do the useful thing and read about the festival, which is, as we said, clearly the bit in The Wicker Man where Howie goes to the library and reads everything. Or do I want to read the weird fiction? Oh my word, what a choice. If it helps, it's the choice between 81 or 94. Hmm. You know, I'm sure I'm going to find other opportunities to read about the festival or to find things out about the festival somewhere. Uh, So I'm going to go with the weird fiction. If this takes me to like a full transcript of The Call of Cthulhu, I'm not reading the whole thing out. (laughs) That would be a mega long episode, though. It would. Uh, Winters raises an eyebrow when you settle down with the tatty magazines, but says nothing. The stories in Bizarre Tales are fanciful affairs of prisons in orbit, devils imprisoning middle-aged women, and mechanical spiders travelling between planets through radio waves. You become immersed in a science fiction story in which unfathomable stilt men stride through a steaming swamp beneath the moon's surface in thrall to floating mesmeric brains. The improbable eerie tale amuses and relaxes you and puts your recent difficulties into context. Apparently, if you'd lost any sanity, you could have restored a point there. As in, I'm clearly just about to be burned alive by cultists, but it could be worse (laughs) because I could have my brain in a jar and be on the moon in a swamp. That's true. I guess I mustn't grumble, really. Mustn't grumble? Mustn't grumble. Well, I haven't (laughs) lost any sanity. So, uh, Mm. nothing changes. I wonder if that works in Call of Cthulhu generally. If you break the fourth wall and read some Lovecraft, do you gain some sanity? It should be. In the next yeah. edition... Unofficial rule. Yep, absolutely. Chaosium, if you're listening, there's something for 8th edition. <laughs> okay, 99. The afternoon wears on. You've not quite finished your reading when Winters glances out of the window and stands up here, clears his throat. Make a credit rating roll. Mmm. Hmm. Am I trying to buy some of the books? I don't know. Hmm. Let's see. 83. What is it with the 80s tonight? (laughs) Okay, so if you fail, we go to 105. I'm afraid I have some errands to run before dark, so I must close the library for today. I do hope you'll return tomorrow afternoon if you're so inclined. You leave the building with Winters, waiting as he locks up. You thank him for the coffee and the access to the library. He disappears off down an alley. You hope to be away from the village before tomorrow afternoon, but it's good to know that there's a place you can occupy yourself. Now go to 180. As the light fades, you return to the Ledbetter house and eat a light supper. May is unusually taciturn. Ruth's eyes flick to yours several times during the meal. There's an urgency there you cannot quite interpret. Afterwards, May ushers the girl into their room. You've been in Emberhead for barely one day, and you already feel confined by it, both geographically and socially. The evening seems to offer little. So you've got a choice now. You can do some stargazing, attempt to speak to Ruth, or if you had a previous appointment, you can follow it up, but I don't think we did. No, unless it's an appointment with the Wicker Man. 
<laughs> you really should have called your character Edward, right? I really should have done. You are, we were. Uh, I'm going to try and speak to Ruth. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. So, well, we were. Love it. We're going to 138. Okay. In time, May returns to the kitchen and busies herself clearing up. To speak to Ruth, you will need to get May to leave for a short while. You help with the dishes and try to think of some ruse. In time, an idea comes and you ask about Silas and his friends in the village. May narrows her eyes. He knows Troy on the other side of town, she says. Not sure I'd call them friends. More like an old feuding couple. But he probably spent last night at Troy's place. You ask May if she could visit Troy and ask if Silas mentioned any plans to return. May looks dubious. Right now, she asks. Without looking at your investigator sheet, decide how best to influence May. By appealing to her emotions, by explaining how further delay threatens your career, or by trying to rush her into compliance. Then make a charm, persuade, or fast talk roll, respectively. I'm going to say, without looking at the investigator sheet, the career. I'm going to say she seems like a single mum. She's only got a small business. There can't be many tourists passing through. So I'm going to say I need to go and start my new job. Okay, then that's a persuade, I believe. Let me know if you succeed. Okay. What is my persuade? I don't think I put any points into it. No, I didn't. I just have base 10. 96. What is right? I'm, I, I don't like these dice anymore. They have been warned. Tomorrow I'm buying you dice and they will regret failing me like this. Can we take these dice up to the beacon and sacrifice them? I think we can. Okay, so we're going to 151 for failing. Uh, okay, May frowns and shakes her head. I'll be happy to go see him in the morning, but I must see to Ruth for now. She's been a terrible handful today. Her bedroom door closes with a heavy clunk. The familiar surroundings of your guest room are becoming constrictive. The neat bed, small wardrobe and dressing mirror have the feel of a prison cell about them. What are you still doing here in Emberhead? Your new life is elsewhere. You lie on the bed and stare at a small crack in the ceiling. You turn over the day's events, thinking through the little details you spotted. You're certainly weary from the elevation and the fresh air. But do you still feel safe here? So, would you like to let yourself fall asleep, or would you like to deliberately stay awake? I'm really liking this kind of sense of claustrophobia that's yeah. building up here. I, I think this is a really good tense ramping up. Uh, I'm going to stay awake because there's clearly something really wrong going on here. Okay, then we're going to 2.30. Sleep presses down on you. You blink it back and sit up trying to think through your situation. Everything in Emberhead seems to be working to stop you leaving. Perhaps the answer is to strike out at first light to walk as far and as fast as you can. You can always return for your possessions and if you lose them you have nothing so precious that it couldn't be replaced. A tiny creak draws your attention to the other side of the room. Slowly, almost silently, the doorknob is turning. 